0: Hello, and welcome to Codish, an exploration of the lives of modern developers. Join us as we dive into topics like languages and frameworks, data and event-driven architectures, and individual and team productivity, all tailored to developers and engineering leaders. This episode is part of our Tools and Tips series.
1: Hello, and welcome to Codish. I am Charlie Gleason, a designer and developer at Heroku. And today I am super excited to be joined by Lynn Fisher. Uh, Lynn, maybe you want to introduce yourself.
0: Yeah, so my name is Lynn. Um, I am a designer and CSS developer. I work for a little company called And Yet. We're a software and design consultancy. Um, and I kind of specialize in making weird web projects, which we're gonna talk about a little bit, um, but things that are fun and silly and bring, hopefully bring joy to people.
1: Which I am genuinely obsessed with your work, so that's why (laughs) this opportunity came up and I was like, oh my gosh, I would love to hear more about where you get this inspiration from because you've had some pretty internet famous projects. I mean, your um, single div project has been around for a long time uh, where you take like, uh, see how far you can push a single div in terms of uh, illustrating in that medium. Would that be a fair way of describing that? I, I never tried to explain a single div before <laughs> out loud.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's um, essentially a CSS drawing experiment. Lots of people are doing CSS illustration, which is so cool. Like there's some really, really amazing ones that have come out really recently. But single div is putting some really strict constraints on it. And so it's basically how what kind of things can I create with one HTML element.
1: Oh my gosh, it's so great. I will um, put a link to it in the show notes. But just to step back, um, I'd I'd love to hear kind of more about like your background. Have you always been in the design industry? Um, and then kind of how you progressed into web as well?
0: Yeah, so I was always interested in art and design. Um, but I went to school for fine arts. Uh, my major was intermedia, <laughs> which is really vague, but it's essentially like what it sounds like. Like Mix all the mediums and see what comes out of it, which was pretty cool. And in high school and college, I'd kind of taught myself HTML and CSS th- with like LiveJournal and MySpace and GeoCities and things like that. And so when I graduated from school, you know, art jobs can be difficult to find if they're oh. even in existence. Uh, so I applied for a uh, HTML and CSS web development job locally in Phoenix here. And that's kind of how I got into doing web stuff. And slowly I convinced them to let me do more design work (laughs) and kind of went from there.
1: I was looking through. So um, there was a project that you did a few years back, which was uh, based on your personal site. And I know that you refresh your personal site once a year Mm -hmm. um, with like some kind of like incredibly creative hook, which is why every time you relaunch it, I'm like so excited for it. And I think the one that really jumped out and got... The first time I saw it kind of get a huge amount of attention was when um, you uh, set it up so that at every breakpoint it would have an entirely different layout and design.
0: Yeah, that was the first year that I really decided to – I think the previous years, I've been redesigning it every year, but that was the first year where I was really – I think experimenting and doing trying something really kind of different. Was that
1: a challenging project in terms of getting so many different layouts out of the same set of markup? Did you like in terms of the markup, did you have to put it in a certain way or like make compromises there?
0: I don't know that it was challenging. It actually went pretty quick. I think where I once I found some inspiration, it it was fast moving. <laughs> you know, I looked at a lot of like magazine layouts, some like traditional graphic design as inspiration. And I think the thing that made it really easy from a development standpoint was CSS grid that essentially allowed me to keep the markup super simple and basic and be able to make lots of different layouts with not a lot of additional markups. So that was really nice kind of at the right time to use CSS grid.
1: Yeah. And it was really when that was just kind of also emerging as something that people were super excited about. I think it was Jen Simmons did a, a ton of really great work, Around educating on CSS Grid and a couple of other people whose names are going to escape me, but I will put links to some of the CSS Grid explorations that were coming out around that time as well into yeah. the show notes.
0: Yeah. Jen Simmons and Rachel Andrew, I saw both of them speak on Grid. And I think yes. both of their work really, really was helpful for me and like understanding it, grogging it, and also um, inspiring that like there were so many new possibilities with Grid that we had been kind of struggling with from a CSS standpoint for years. So uh, yeah, they were immensely helpful.
1: So uh, a lot of the time I've noticed your work centers around television as a medium. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Um, I mean, you have the incredible, um, the food place, which takes all of the items from the food items from the good place and turns it into a giant menu. Uh, Similarly, your top chef stats. And then most recently, the project that I could not have been more like excited <laughs> about personally because it's my favorite television show of all time. Oh, and I think amazing. I've seen every episode a thousand times, would be Shits Creek. Um, <laughs> you made Dress David Rose, which was an illustration of every sweater or every outfit, sorry, that David Rose wore throughout Shits Creek. So is that kind of, I, I'm really curious about the inspiration for these projects. Is that kind of sitting absentmindedly watching TV and then being like, I should do something with that. Or do you go into it more like looking at a show you like and thinking, I'm going to try and find something I can make around this.
0: Uh, I think it's a little bit of both. I think I was thinking about like, where, how did I get here? (laughs) Right. Like from, and I was thinking back, actually, I took, I feel like something came to light, which was, I took a fine arts, a web fine arts class in college, which is different. We were creating flash sites which is back Ooh. in the day. But it was yeah. <laughs> always our, our sites had to be from like a fine arts perspective or like a, you know, a different approach. And so there was this guy in my class. I wish I remember his name. I have to go search for it. But what he did is he actually took a photo of every single item that was in his apartment and cataloged it. And you could like search by color wow. or search by Purpose and stuff. And I think luckily we were in college, so his house probably wasn't full of lots of stuff. Um, so it was probably, I mean, still a really intense endeavor, right? But I think that had a huge impact on me. And so, um, and also, one of the first sites I ever made was just a fan site for a local band in town that I loved. And so those things I think kind of coalesced into this um, glorified fan site. <laughs> Approach that I take to personal projects, uh, which is like, oh, I'm like just obsessed with this thing right now. And I love, potentially love this particular part of this thing. And like, what can I do with that? How can I express that creatively and share that kind of like weird niche love? Because I'm sure there are other people out there that also would respond well to it or be excited about it. And so that's kind of where that comes from. And I do watch a lot of TV. And so I think just naturally, Um, I have inspiration from that and there's so much content to work with from TV shows, especially like these ones that are maybe long running or really, um, they really work on like their special continuity or like in jokes, Mm. right? Mm. Um, And so, yeah, that's kind of where things sprout from.
1: (laughs) I saw that um, Dan Levy who... Uh, plays David Rose and wrote the show and is is like the executive producer with his dad, I think, like tweeted about it. Yeah. Which is, must have been an incredible feeling. Yeah, <laughs> that was
0: unreal. You know, I mean, you always kind of hope that someone involved with the show will see it or, you know, feel flattered that their fans are so into it and feel some sort of gratitude. Like I can express the gratitude that I have for them of like making something that I love so much. Um, so yeah, it was really, really cool to get a response from them.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. I genuinely jumped up off my couch and like <laughs> ran to my laptop to message you when I saw it. I was like, Lynn, have you seen this?
0: <laughs> that's amazing. But it's
1: just like, I don't know. I think that a lot of the time you kind of do this stuff in a vacuum, right? You kinda of, I know exactly what you mean. That it's yeah. like, I made this because I like you, but or I like the thing that you've made, or I like I feel a connection. And then for that to have that returned. So I think, yeah, there's something really um I don't know. I just love it. It's yeah, like, it, it feels special that, for sure. Um, so one of the other things I noticed is that um there are like statistics come across a lot in your work, like um, uh, the Top Chef stats um, site, which kind of covers this, all of the stats of Top Chef. I think you updated it really recently. Mm -hmm. And then um, also like the Hollywood age gap, which shows the age gap between, was it characters?
0: It basically calculates the age gap between movie love interests. So there's, you know, a trend that older Hollywood men get paired up with really young Hollywood women it's, it's just strictly data. I mean, you can draw whatever conclusions you want from it, but it just calculates that and then orders them in kind of this big grid.
1: Wow, it's, it's well worth checking out. And I love that use of kind of data to present even just like not necessarily having to do much more than just put the numbers there in a way that makes them easy to to kind of digest, and then all of a sudden it kind of paints a much bigger picture than just the numbers themselves. yeah. But I I think the other thing that I loved as well was the idea of um, looking back on old work. Because I think one of the challenges, like URLs were originally meant to be forever. And if you had a URL, that was always meant to exist. And that was kind of the whole idea of like a get request with a URL. But uh, in this day and age, a lot of stuff has disappeared. Geo cities, um, there was like a huge effort to kind of... Uh, immortalize that and to rescue it. But I saw that you keep every version of your portfolio from two thousand seven to now, yeah. which is amazing. I know. <laughs>
0: it's funny that like I didn't intentionally start doing that until later, but I just happen to not delete things. And so I did have static HTML and CSS files from like way back in the day. So I was able to like piece everything back together and create a full archive, which was pretty cool. Oh.
1: That is so cool. Yeah, it's definitely worth going. Uh, it's lindentonic.com. dot um, But yeah, it's really, it's also I think kind of um, amazing as well because there's a certain tendency in the current the way that we approach social media now to be m- more kind of um, temporary or ephemeral. So I think looking back on that stuff is so is so great though because it was all made without that kind of context. Mm -hmm. Like I think when we look at social media now, everyone's very aware that it's there and that it can have an impact further down the line. And so people are either make a decision to leave stuff or to delete it. But I think back then no one really knew what, the internet i mean the internet existed and people were putting things on it but it was still kind of this niche thing so i think it's really interesting cuz you don't get to see as much of that kind of content from like 2007 internet was a very different internet you know
0: yeah probably more people have seen like my 2008 redesign now than they did in 2008 right and so <laughs> um, <laughs> it's interesting how that content can stick around um, and i think what's important for me too is that you know i think a lot there's this kind of phrase that people say, which is like, oh, if you're not embarrassed by the work you did six months ago, that means you're not learning or not growing. And I don't necessarily think that's true. I think like it's cool to look back at the work and see how far you've come. Sure. But also that it's like it's okay to be proud of the work that you did like 10 years ago. You know, I mean, you were a different person. The world was different. And I think it's cool to be able to see how people have changed, how work has changed um, and to appreciate what it was at the time, you know.
1: Sure. Yeah. And the constraints were entirely different. The, the means in which we were working was totally different. The resources were totally like, it was just a such a, I think that's, it's, it is so easy to look back at stuff and and to be hypercritical of it. But yeah, I don't know. I was excited when I made my first website because I put something on the internet. I could show people at another friend's house. Like I know. Oh my gosh. That was just like the best feeling. I I, I try and capture that feeling still now and it's so much harder, right?
0: Totally. But yeah, I remember a friend of mine introduced me to GeoCities, and I remember sitting at her house and being like, you can make websites? Like, it was like a bomb exploded in my head, right? Like, <laughs> like oh, like, like I guess before, like, like, oh, stuff on the internet is just like, like, obviously someone makes it, but like, not me, you know? Yeah, <laughs> um, sure. So it was just really cool. And yeah, I think capturing that feeling, my side projects for sure help with that, where it's like, okay, this is just me sitting down, and I'm just going to like, make a thing. It's gonna be weird, and it's gonna be just this weird thing that I care about, and it's a cool thing that we can do that.
1: The other thing I was gonna say, speaking of like fandom, it doesn't just have to be for t v like you made y y arizona or y a z um as kind of a celebration or like a love letter to your hometown or to your home state uh what was the inspiration for that, and how did that kind of come about?
0: yeah, so i worked on that with a few of my friends at um, a company that I worked at previously called Melt Media. They're an agency um, in Tempe. And we were talking a lot about uh, recruitment and hiring and things and us knowing that Arizona was a great place to live and work. But you know, lots of people were at the time and still moving to the Bay um, or some of the larger cities where big companies have HQs. And so also, I mean, unfortunately there was a lot of like bad Arizona press happening Mm. with our politics and our sheriff and all of that. And so um, we were like, let's put something out there. That's just like, Hey, this is the stuff that we like about living here and what's great and unique about Arizona. And, See if people like that, you know, and we could send it. Maybe if we're trying to recruit someone from a different state, maybe we'll send them that and be like, hey, this is why we like living here. You know, like if you move here and maybe you don't work for us later, you could probably still have a great life here. Right. And not that Mm. like you like you don't hire people and and expect them to work for you forever. Right. Like so you want if if someone moves there, you want them to love it as much as they can and make it a home. Um so yeah that's where that kind of came from and we put together a bunch of factual stuff just stuff that we think is neat about Arizona um and that was actually the first all the illustrations on YAZ are also done with CSS and so that was like the first project where I worked on where I started the CSS illustration thing or trying that out oh, so wow.
1: yeah I didn't realize like that that's awesome
0: Yeah we originally were wanting to do something that would because we were a, a dev shop like oh, can we do something kind of unique with this from a technical standpoint too, you know, not just oh. a content standpoint. So yeah, it was it was a really fun project and I've, we've kept it alive. We haven't done a lot of edits just because all of us were kind of working on When I left Melt Media, we were all kind of just working on it on a volunteer basis, right? I have a lot of plans for it, but, um, you know, got to figure out how to make that work when we're all kind of working on it as individuals. So,
1: And that's actually kind of leads me into like talking about these kind of projects generally, like looking at tools and, and and your processes and the way you kind of approach it, like how do you create space and find time to focus on these projects? Cause I think I like one of my favorite things, um, so Heroku works with yet on a bunch of projects and it's great. And I feel like half of our meetings are just us and team members from and yet talking about how we don't understand how you get so much done (laughs) you do have a day job right like
0: Uh um
1: working across a ton of projects and doing incredible work but it's like how do you find the time (laughs) do you sleep
0: Uh, (laughs) it's funny because I actually do sleep a lot um (laughs) I mean I am lucky in that like I don't have a lot of people depending on me so a lot of my time is my own um but I think it's a combination of things I do work quickly I've described one of my strengths as like being able to like make decisions and move on them so I think where a lot of people struggle with like oh what should I do I'm like you know I think a lot of people have trouble working on their own work especially where there aren't Mm -hmm. guidelines or you know constraints being given to them so I think that's part of it but also I do set aside time each evening and each weekend to work on this type of stuff so Having having a lot of time that's my own and being like strict with it, Um, and I think also as much as like I do set aside time and like set expectations with my friends and family that I'm going to be doing that, but also that when I'm excited about a project, I want to work on it in a flurry. And so um, it's easy for me. I think like the David Rose project was a lot of work. It was a lot of illustration. And like, as I was going through, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so much work. But it, it did go quickly. I was excited about it. It was fun. Probably the biggest thing is just that I love working on these. And so it just kind of happens naturally. I find the time because I want to do it.
1: Well, it comes across because I think there's a certain part of me that when I said I'm just like wow, this is incredible, and then you start to think about the the level of detail because I don't know the exact number of sweaters off the top of my head or the exact number of outfits, but it's like at least a hundred, right?
0: Yeah, it's a um, I think an average of like thirty per season, and there's six seasons. Oh well, we're we're almost done with season six, and then there's two versions of each shirt. Also, there's like the kind of like store version like here's a picture of the sweater and then the illustration of like David wearing it so yeah it was a lot and as new episodes are coming out um, I want the complicated ones with like lots of graphics are actually pretty fun to do but also of course much more time intensive so when he wears a sweater that's like pretty simple I'm like oh this is a nice break you know (laughs) like (laughs) oh just some stars on this one
1: (laughs) when you draw do you or when you're working on something like this like let's say like a heavily illustrative project is that something that you would like go to a space like a study to do or do you kind of do it absentmindedly in front of the tv especially when it gets to that kind of time intensive but not necessarily cognitively heavy work
0: right yeah so illustration is nice where I can sometimes I'll sit at my desk but also have like Netflix on my monitor um or I'll like sit on the couch with my husband and watch something while I'm working so like yeah that one those ones are nice where I really it, I'm focused, but like I can still like process some things that are happening around me. But yeah, when I'm working on, I so my flags U.S. flags site required like a ton of research and reading, and so that that one I really had to like kind of lock myself in a room, um, and oh. really kind of buckle down. But yeah, I think with each project, there's like one nice thing is like they usually have a visual component along with a research component, and so. I can kind of go back and forth between the two types of processes depending on how I'm feeling. And so I can still oh. make progress. Like sometimes I'm just like I cannot draw anything right now. So oh, I'll do some research or some HTML or something. You know, so like doing this creative stuff is nice. Like be able to like kind of scratch that itch, but also, you know, be making something.
1: I don't know. I can't yeah, I just I just I don't know what that feeling is, but it's like it's very hard to once you have it, it's <laughs> very hard to ignore. Yeah, totally. <laughs> So, uh, one of the other things I was kind of interested in, do, do you ever find yourself kind of iterating or pivoting around ideas or even walking away from something? Like, is there projects that you start and just think, mm, maybe I've lost some of this spirit for this, or maybe I um, I don't, I'm not enjoying it as much. Have you, do you find that, or do you tend to, once you've settled on an idea, see it through to the end and, you know, really like, err?
0: Most of my, the m- majority of my projects I kind of see through, and it feels like there's like a a clear, okay, I can put this out and it can exist in this state for forever, potentially if, without me adding to it. Or I can, some of them, I'll just potentially could be adding data to it for forever also, uh, which is an interesting yeah, so. other problem. But um, there's a couple projects I abandoned this year. Um, a friend of mine and I, we were working on an uh, Academy Awards, like bracket, like betting type app. And we would start working on it and then miss the Oscars <laughs> and then like the next year start working on it and then miss it, right? We'd like miss the deadline every, I think having like a really strict deadline like that wasn't good for us. It seemed. Um, so we yeah, decided to, sure. we just like, we're like, okay, we're, we've gone like, I think it's been like three years we've tried to do it. And we're like, okay, well, this isn't going well. So we're just, we had, we <laughs> left that one. We're like, we can enjoy the Oscars in our own way, I guess. Um, and then another project that I, I still have, I, I'm still toying with it. I don't know, but. Um, have you seen the show Mindhunter on Netflix? Uh,
1: I've seen the name. Yeah. Okay.
0: So it's a David Fincher series. It's it's pretty good. Um, but because David Fincher is so artful in his work, the product placement in the show is really obvious. <laughs> like it's just like it takes you out of the show almost. Um, but it's yeah. cool because it's like a it's a period piece. Um, and so they're like period appropriate Type product placement so it's cool like old packaging and things and so um I took I went through and captured all the times that a product showed up in the show oh wow yeah and so I still have that it's sitting um I didn't put it out I didn't know what format to do it in or like how to present that in a way that felt right and um, their season three just got like postponed. And so that's one that's kind of on the back burner, not totally um, abandoned, but like I'm, I've kind of like left it to sit for a while. So we'll see if I end up doing something with it.
1: Um, So one thing I did want to bring up as well um, was a project that uh, we collaborated on, um, which was uh, Hanafuda cards. Um, Hanafuda cards are a Japanese uh, card game and they're based around these really visually led, different illustrations uh to do with the seasons and to do with collections of items within um the visuals so you really have to see them and um so you uh worked on all of the illustrations for that how was that process compared to something say like digital given it was a much more kind of physical illustrative thing that was for print
0: yeah it was really really fun i think like i speak for everyone at and yet that this is one of our favorite projects that we've like ever worked on <laughs> we just oh, love it so great. much it was just such a fun process and so creative and unique and the main process for illustrating was like there's this existing artwork that's very familiar for people who play um, with Hanafuda cards a lot and so Mm. taking that artwork that's really iconic and recognizable and translating it to the Heroku line art style was challenging for sure but I think once I kind of got the first couple cards going um I think from there it was really, really, really fun and easy to like kind of translate the cards into this Heroku ecosystem. So it was helpful to have Diana, who on our team, who is really familiar with Hanafuda. She has a Koikoi Koi app, um, and I think for sure iOS, maybe Android too. But so I was able to show her and be like, "Is this recognizable as this card?" And she's like, "Yep," or "No," like it needs to be. It definitely needs to include this element or something like that. So that was. A really interesting process of like taking something and making it our own but you know keeping the essence and the joy of the original product and what was extra special cool about it is how you all really took the printing and creation of these really seriously and the cards are you know hand wrapped they're printed so nicely and when I got them and I was able to like unbox them it was just such a cool feeling uh working on the web you know I don't really get to like hold (laughs) Uh, something that I yeah. designed, right? And so that was really, really, really special. And they're just so... I, you can just tell that they're very lovingly made. Um, oh, so it was really real. cool. That's yeah. Real awesome. Yeah. And I just think there's like uh, some like anxiety and <laughs> that I felt about like, you know, something that's going to be printed. There's like, you know, with web, it's like, oh yeah, just push an update, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> but here it's like, okay, this is like final, 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 right? But the like seriousness and the joy and the excitement from the Heroku team, especially about like creating these, like really, really shines through. They're really, I think like really special swag. I think
1: one of the biggest things with that, I mean, Jennifer um, was the real driving force behind this. So um, Lynn and I both work with Jennifer at Heroku. She's amazing. Hi, Jennifer. And I think one of the big things was that she wanted to be really, both really respectful of the tradition of the hanafuda cards, which went into the production process. So we, I can't even remember how many suppliers and, and different people we talked to to try and get this very specific process of um, of wrapping these cards, and then also just wanting to be to do justice to something, especially because it is uh, really culturally significant in Japan, and we wanted to make sure that we were being uh, respectful of that and that we were um, doing it in the right way, and then also I think. Anytime that you're reinterpreting something, there's like the most fun feeling is like, like you said, taking this thing that's quite traditional and and is seen in a certain way and then trying to play with it and and explore this whole other side, but also still trying to kind of stick within the staying within the lines of what's, you know, recognizable and Mm -hmm. appropriate and all that kind of stuff. So I really, I definitely hear you as well on like that weird feeling when you have something printed. Because you're like, uh, there's this weird thing when I always think the weirdest thing about making stuff on the internet is if electricity ever stops working, we're all in trouble and <laughs> no one will know anything I did and it will just right. be gone. Oh my gosh. But then <laughs> there's this other terror of like, once it's printed, it's printed forever. Right. And you, can't, like, you can't
0: take it back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so,
1: yeah, I totally, I totally relate to that. Um, if people want to check out the cards, uh, it, you totally should. It's at Heroku.com slash Hanafuda and I'll put them in the show notes.
0: We we love, we talk about that project a lot still we're just like oh how fun was that let's do more stuff like that
1: ah that's the best (laughs) well i could i mean i could literally sit and talk to you forever because i I think your work is incredible and i love what you're making and i love what you're putting out into the world it's such a positive um you know like i think the whole world at the moment just needs some good feelings right and i think that's so cool so i think i just i really appreciate you um taking the time to chat about your work and about your process and um, and for being great.
0: Thank you. This has been really fun.
1: Um, if people want to check out your work, they can visit um, lynantonic.com. That's L Y N N and tonic.com. And your Twitter handle is the same. And thank you for tuning in. Thanks for joining us for this
0: episode of the Kodish Podcast. Kodish is produced by Heroku, the easiest way to deploy, manage, and scale your applications in the cloud. If you'd like to learn more about Kodish or any of Heroku's podcasts, please visit heroku.com slash podcasts.